Good afternoon. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us here on Midday Today. Today, it's the Midday Health Watch with Dr. Lena Wynn. Dr. Wynn will answer your questions about COVID, and she'll tell us what she has discovered about a couple of places that have particularly high vaccination rates, and it may surprise you where those places are. But before we speak with Dr. Wen, I want to welcome Krish Omara Vignaraja back to the show. She is the president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. The huge humanitarian crisis at the southern border continues. More than 300,000 migrants were processed by U.S. immigration officials just last month, and the repercussions of the crisis are far-reaching. Republicans in Congress are holding up aid to Ukraine and Israel until some kind of deal is reached about tightening border security in the U.S. Krish Omara Vignaraja joins us on Zoom. Krish, welcome back and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Tom. Hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I did, and I hope you did as well. You have a relatively new baby in the house, and uh, that's always cause for great, great joy uh, in your house and many other houses around the country. Um, speaking of families, there's an awful lot of families now that are uh, crossing the border uh, illegally and seeking asylum in the United States, and it's causing a huge, uh, there's a huge uptick, and it's causing a huge crisis. What What is causing this uptick? I mean, if you look back to like 1980, we had about a half a million people crossing uh, in 2000. That was about 1.5 million. It went way down in 2013 and 14 to less than half a million. And now we're well above 2 million on an annual basis. What What's going on? Why the uptick now? So what we're seeing at our southern border is essentially a global and regional humanitarian crisis that is colliding with our broken immigration system. Um, as other pathways have closed um, in terms of coming into the U.S., it's increased the pressure on the southern border as really the only um, pathway or outlet into the U.S. Um, I think most people don't understand when they say they ought to come the right way. The reality is that our system is so outdated and convoluted that getting a visa is more like winning, you know, Powerball these days. Um, and so, you know, that's why you have so many uh, coming to the southern border, fleeing war, persecution, drug cartels, uh, climate disasters. And of course, our region is affected just as globally. We're seeing an unprecedented 114 million displaced. As a legal matter, let's clear this up for folks. Is it, uh, does it affect one's asylum posture, one's asylum claim, if uh, that person came to the country illegally, did not cross at a regular you know, uh, manned, personed uh, immigration uh, point of entry. If you cross illegally, can you still legally apply for asylum in the United States? Uh, yes. Um, so two things to clarify. One, um, if an individual enters the U.S. between border crossings that um, under our immigration and naturalization laws um, does not preclude them from applying for asylum. Um, our laws are explicit in the sense that that individual can apply um, uh, so long as they are able to make that claim either proactively or affirmatively, or um, they can even make that in a defensive posture um, if they are uh, you know, identified and put into deportation proceedings. 
And then the second important thing to understand is that for an asylum seeker, the only way they can actually seek asylum is once they've reached American soil. That's different from a refugee. A refugee is someone who has left their home country, they've crossed an international border, they've gone to a third country, and they apply through the UN or the US embassy to seek refugee status. Um, that person is coming in through a different system. But for an asylum seeker, they can only apply for asylum once they've reached uh, American soil. So uh, how does the, the so-called remain in Mexico policy uh, affect that, um, that particular dimension of this? Yeah. So under the Trump administration, it essentially eviscerated um, uh, asylum rights of those who were really fleeing for their lives um, because it essentially created a barrier uh, that was not um, kind of considered um, or permitted under U.S. law, um, which is ultimately why the Remain in Mexico policy um, was was ended uh, as a result of its contravention of U.S. law. So just uh, last week or so, uh, Secretary of State Anthony, Anthony Blinken met with Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador, uh, talking to Mexico about somehow stemming the tide of all of these people who are coming through Mexico, because they're not just coming from Central and Latin America anymore. I mean, we have people from Africa, from Central Asia, uh, from other places, uh, Cuba, Venezuela, etc. Um, what did those talks uh, end up with, uh, and how does that affect the talks that are currently underway in Congress to uh, to come up with some sort of uh, immigration deal that would then uh, putatively free up money for Ukraine and Israel and other things that the priorities that the Biden administration has? Yeah, it's an important question because obviously uh, the Mexico-U.S. negotiations around um, what is happening uh, at the southern border is critical. Um, you know, I think it is uh, important to understand right now, um, Mexico uh, actually has major labor needs where um, some of our clients, we are starting to hear them consider uh, whether they would stay in Mexico rather than try to come into the U.S. because there are opportunities there. That said, um, you know, there have been some policies considered by the Trump administration as well as the Biden administration um, uh, called sort of third country um, rules, where if you travel through a country like Mexico, there's been some consideration that that would prevent you from applying for asylum in the U.S. And the reason we have some concerns about that kind of third country rule is because, you know, Mexico, Guatemala, a lot of the countries that migrants are crossing through are they themselves uh, places where people are fleeing um, because of, you know, drug uh, cartel violence um, and, and other reasons? Uh, the, the talks were productive, um, and, and we do think that there is an opportunity for Mexico to, to play its part. Um, but I think it's important to understand, you know, when we have uh, Senate negotiations happening about um, an exchange for, uh, you know, um, restrictions on asylum at the southern border um, to allow for Ukraine and foreign military funding. Um, it feels like a political hostage situation in which we're pitting two critical priorities against each other at a time when the U.S. needs to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, we have to be able to meet our legal and humanitarian obligations to asylum seekers at the border, and we have to support our global allies. It's not one or the other. So right now what we're seeing is kind of a deterrent-only strategy pursued by some members of Congress. 
And that's because, and that's that's an important problem because the push factors at play right now are incredibly powerful. And so we've got to figure out a system that allows for asylum seekers to come to the southern border. But we do have to recognize, as you described, that there are a lot of people coming to the southern border right now. We had 20,000 Ukrainians come to the southern border before the Uniting for Ukraine program. And that's because so many other legal pathways are dysfunctional, they're backlogged, they're preventing people from entering the U.S. uh, through these other pathways. And so that's creating a pressure at the southern border that is unhelpful and it really needs to be fixed through both, uh, you know, congressional action as well as the Biden administration stepping up. Chris Omar of is the president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. We're talking about the crisis at the southern border. It's been going on for three years or so. Some 300,000 people uh, crossed into the United States and were processed by U.S. immigration officials just last month, the month of December. So, Chris, um, one of the things that Senate negotiators uh, on the Republican side of the aisle are uh, suggesting and asserting in their conversations are significantly uh, tougher regulations about uh, what you need to uh, prove in order to qualify for asylum. Uh, what's your understanding of what those suggestions are? Uh, and long term, what do you think that's going to mean for the U.S. immigration system? So the two key parts of, of what are being negotiated um, in Congress, one would be to um, institute a much stricter requirement for seeking asylum. Um, And it's important to understand the context here because the credible fear threshold, which was set by Congress, was set at a time when Congress was also instituting expedited removal proceedings. So this was in 1996. And so the idea was if you were going to impose harsher uh, immigration penalties and enforcement by removing um, people through expedited removal proceedings, that there ought to be a protection at the front end in terms of allowing asylum seekers to, um, you know, have have some uh, flexibility in applying um, and being considered for asylum, which would allow them to get in front of an immigration judge. And so that's why we had a lower threshold in terms of an individual making the case initially um, to meet the credible fear threshold. If Congress imposes a very strict standard for that meeting that credible fear threshold, it would really eliminate the balance that was struck by Congress when they instituted the credible fear threshold and the expedited removal proceedings. And so that's our concern is, you know, we want to make sure that people do have to show some evidence that they face persecution in order to meet um, uh, an asylum claim. But we don't want it to be so strict that people who don't know how to frame, um, you know, don't speak English, um, that they're removed without really that ability to to have a day in court. The other piece of what Congress is considering is putting restrictions on humanitarian parole. Humanitarian parole is something that the president has power to authorize. Um, That's a power that's been given to Democratic and Republican presidents. This president um, used that power to create legal pathways, frankly, to reduce the pressure on people coming to the southern border. Um, And so the 
President Biden used this to help Ukrainian refugees come into the U.S. and has also created a pathway for, um, you know, Cuban, Haitian, Venezuelan um, uh, immigrants coming into the U.S. And so it's a temporary pathway. Um, it's been helpful because we've heard from our clients, no one wants to have to take these thousand mile treacherous journeys, um, you know, and, and deal with human trafficking and, and drug cartels. Um, and, and that's where when Congress doesn't act, uh, we have to credit the president for doing what he can unilaterally. But the reality is we have to put pressure on political leaders to say, look, the immigration system has not been reformed for over three decades. When we see nurse shortages, when we see um, a lack of AIDS in assisted living homes, uh, this is because the legal immigration into the U.S. has been some of the lowest levels we've seen um, in, 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 in some time. Um, and that's where we need real reform. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson is traveling to Eagle Pass, Texas tomorrow. Uh, he has said that he won't uh, accept anything less in these negotiations than uh, what's known as H.R. 2, which is a very hardline uh, GOP uh, border and immigration bill. The Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer in the Senate has said he's not going to even consider H.R. 2. What What is your take on uh, looking forward as to whether or not some sort of immigration reform, uh, obviously it would be incremental, it wouldn't be an overhaul of the entire system, but some sort of incremental reform uh, happening uh, with Congress at this juncture? Candidly, I'm not uh, terribly hopeful because it, it feels like one uh, party wants immigration to be a wedge issue. Um, and obviously it's been effective in the sense that you are seeing uh, popular support for immigration really wane. Um, and the other side views it as its Achilles heel. And so we haven't had a proactive, full-throated defense of immigration. And that's really sad because, you know, the crisis um, we are facing facing uh, in the immigration space is, is not um, too few immigrants coming into the country, um, it, it, not too many immigrants coming into the country. It is uh, not enough to meet the needs of our country. We have nearly, um, you know, 9 million um, uh, jobs that are unfilled right now. Uh, we need both uh, of our, our parties to understand that when we have the lowest demographic of um, with the lowest birth rate since the census has been tracking this issue, immigration is a key part of how we remain an economic superpower. And what we're seeing in terms of the southern border, you know, you have Governor Abbott, who has spent four and a half billion dollars in the last two years. Um, he's expected to spend nine point four five billion um, on his Operation Lone Star. Uh, we have private prison companies who are making billions of dollars. My point as, you know, the head of an immigration organization is we don't need additional resources necessarily. What we need to do is reallocate um, these resources because these are people who are fleeing the most dire of circumstances. They want to come here and work. They don't want handouts. They don't want to be shipped from city to city. Uh, but that requires us to have some national coordination. Immigration is a federal issue, and it requires a cohesive national response. And this is on both parties. Um, we, we, you know, we've been advocating for the Biden administration to step up and better coordinate this effort. We've been calling for Republican governors to stop using immigrants as political pawns to score points in advance of, you know, re-elections and the presidential. Um, and, and that's why it's sad what you're seeing, because it is a crisis, but the crisis and the chaos we're seeing is is created um, by political actors. 
Krish Omara Vignaraja, who's the president and CEO of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Krish, as always, we appreciate your perspective and uh, explaining very important distinctions and nuances of this very complicated issue. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Quick break. And when we return, Dr. Lena Wen joins me for the Midday Health Watch. If you have a question for Dr. Wen, give us a call at 410-662-8780 or email us midday at wypr.org. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is 88.1 WYPR.